Before we get into uh, the message, I want to I share a brief story with you from Scripture. Uh, you don't have to turn there. I just want to put this in your mind as kind of a launch pad for where we're headed today. The story is in Acts chapter 3. There's a, a man who is sat down every day at the gate called Beautiful. He's lame. He, he's crippled. He can't walk on his own. And so every day he goes and he sits there and he begs for alms for other people to come and help him. And one day Peter and John, two of the disciples, are on their way there to the temple at the hour of prayer, three in the afternoon. And they see this man, and he's, he's asking them for financial help. And, and I just want to read part of the story to you. It says in Acts 3, 4, Peter looked straight at the man, as did John, and Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Then it says, taking the man by the hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet, his ankles, they became strong. He jumped to his feet. He walked. He praised God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized this was the same man that used to sit at the gate in the temple and they were filled with wonder, and they were amazed at what had happened to him. I, I just wanted to give you that story to contextualize where we're going today. I, I love the, the moment where Peter and John say, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, I'll give it to you. So I want you to consider today what we have to offer. And before we get into the message, I, I want to just say a thank you to everybody that has been praying about our pop-up church initiative that happens in November. It just kicked off this last Tuesday night. Uh, if you don't know anything about this, I want to show you a quick highlight video from our first one. And so many of you have just, you've rallied behind this and said, we're believing God's going to move. Uh, we literally have started a church, a portable church, a temporary church for one month. In the month of November, we're meeting on Tuesday nights at the Columbia Market House, right over the bridge there in Lancaster County. And, uh, and so we had our first one on Tuesday night, and I want you to just watch this recap before we get into the message. Come on, isn't that exciting? So good. I, I just, I love that. So thank you again for everybody that helped us with that. Uh, I just want to preach from my heart today. I want to share with you some of the things that the Holy Spirit has been just uh, talking to me about, dealing with me about. And, and I wanted to start with that story in Acts 3 because really what the Holy Spirit prompted in me came out of that story. Now, that's not my text. That's not what I'm preaching on today. But I want you to just consider that moment where this person is down and out. They're, they're, they're broken. Their life is in shambles. They, they don't have much hope. And they ask Peter and John for help. And they said, what I do have, I'll give to you. And, and the question that's been rolling around in my spirit is simply this. What do we have? What do, what do we have? For the person that says, I need help, can you help me? What do we have? And, you know, even as I watch that recap video, I'm so excited about what God is doing. And somebody might ask, and people have asked, what, what compels you to do this? Like, it's a lot of work to, like, set all the stuff up and to put all that together. And it's a whole lot of volunteers. And, and why would you do that? And can I just tell you, in case you weren't sure, we're not doing it because we think we just do such a good job of teaching and preaching and showing hospitality that we wanted to, like, take the show on the road. 
Because here's what I know. And by the way, uh, the chili was amazing, Charlie and Vicky, on Tuesday night. Like, they, they crushed it. The food was great. The coffee was great. But how many of you know hospitality won't heal a broken heart? Good music won't restore a, a, a family that, that's imploded. A three-point sermon is not enough to bring somebody from death to life. And so the question that I've been wrestling in my own spirit with is, is Lord, what do we have? God help us if we, if we put all of our hope in the fact that, like, well, we know how to do church well, and if you'll just come to church, if you'll just be a part of what we're doing, then, then maybe things will work out for you. How many of you know there's plenty of broken people that are still in church that could say that's not the case? Being in church or being at a church service, not enough. Not enough to raise up a crippled man that's been lying on a mat for all of his life. There's something else that we have to have. And if lives are going to be changed, we have to have a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So what I do want to talk about today is, is two manifestations or two categories, if I can use that word, of the Holy Spirit's work in the life of believers. I want to talk about the work that He is doing, and I want to talk about the work that He wants to do. If you're a note taker, these are the two points. I want to talk about the indwelling spirit. And secondly, I want to talk about the empowering spirit. Now, I've been blessed. Uh, last month, I was given a book. A lot of people give me books. I guess they think I need them. But uh, I, I received a book last week from uh, Tom Del Rossini, and uh, it's a book called Experiencing the Spirit. I don't typically recommend books, but that's a good one. Experiencing the Spirit. It's by Robert Heidler, and it just ministered to my heart. And one of the things he talks about in that book is this, these two categories of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling spirit and the empowering spirit. And so my heart has been full on this topic. And here's what I want to say, number one, about the indwelling spirit. You need to know this. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. I don't care what your denominational affiliation is, what your theological persuasion is, what your resistance to the manifestations of the spirit in some uh, parts of the church culture. I want you to know, according to the authority of God's word, if the Holy, if you're saved, if you're a Christian, if you said, Jesus be the Lord of my life, the Holy Spirit is living on the inside of you. And in Romans, which is that great book about what it means to be saved, why we need saved, what happens after we're saved, Paul describes salvation in Romans chapter 8. And I want to give you a verse out of that. It's kind of a foundation for this thought. In Romans 8 verse 9, Paul says, you, however, talking about you that are saved, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. By the way, Spirit is always capitalized here in the text. He said, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So here Paul says clearly, if you don't have the Spirit, and who's the Spirit? Well, he uses several words interchangeably to talk about the same Spirit. Right here in this one verse, he calls him the Spirit. He calls him the Spirit of God. He calls him the Spirit of Christ. And then he says, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. So he lays out for us this reality that, that it's a good reminder, first of all, that we serve a triune God. That we serve God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And some people, they're a little bit leery about that third person of the Trinity. Like, ah, I don't really know about the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure I can trust Him. It's little, I don't know. It gets weird when you talk about the Holy Spirit. Listen, 
what Paul said and what I'm saying today is the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. It is, He is the Spirit of God. He's the third person of the Trinity. And every Christian has the Holy Spirit living within them. This is a new covenant reality that was not possible before Jesus' death and resurrection, and it is truth today. When you make Jesus the Lord of your life, it's his spirit that comes to live on the inside of you. Aren't you glad it's the spirit and not actually Jesus? Like physical 33-year-old Jewish Jesus, like come to live in my heart. No, we all understand. You might get the verbiage twisted, but we know when we say Jesus come into my heart, it's the spirit of Christ that we're inviting to come in. Paul talked about it like this in 1 Corinthians 6. He said, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So what's, what's the Holy Spirit doing right now? The Holy Spirit is indwelling every Christian. He's living on the inside of every Christian. This is one of the great blessings. You know, Hebrews says that we have a better covenant in Jesus. And oftentimes we think about the better covenant. We think purely about our salvation. But one of the things that makes this covenant better is that before Jesus' resurrection from the dead, the Holy Spirit didn't live in the hearts of people. But because Jesus conquered death, because he was glorified, now the Spirit comes to live with us. When you look in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would show up on occasion. The Holy Spirit would visit with the people. And, and he would, they would have moments like when he led them by a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire by night through the wilderness. The Holy Spirit was there. When, when Moses would go into the tent of meeting, the presence of the Lord would come down. When they erected the tabernacle and went, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, the presence of the Lord would meet him there. And then when they built the temple, Solomon erected this glorious edifice for God's presence. The Bible says on the inauguration day, the Holy Spirit filled the temple so much so that the priests could not even perform their duties. God's presence was there in that moment. And sometimes the Holy Spirit would empower individuals like Samson and he would have great strength and he would destroy his enemies or or Moses would be empowered by the spirit and he would speak to the people and prophesy and hear from God the Holy Spirit didn't dwell with all the people in fact Moses wished he would Moses was like man this would be so much easier to lead these people through the wilderness if all of them could be filled with the spirit I'm telling you right now, my job is the envy of Moses in heaven right now. Like, I have the privilege of leading people in, in a wilderness year, and everybody can hear from God. There was one time where Moses was so frustrated with what was going on that he just went to God, and God said, listen, here's what I'm going to do, Moses. I want you to take 70 elders, and I want you to bring them into the place where I meet with you, and I'm going to take some of my spirit that's on you, and I'm going to put it on them. And so they all show up. Well, all but two of them. So 68 show up. Two guys missed the meeting. And so when the Holy Spirit that was on Moses falls on those other men, they all begin to prophesy. But the other two guys, they were still in the camp. The Holy Spirit still got them. All of a sudden, they start prophesying, and people on the streets hear this. And so Joshua uh, comes running to Moses, and he says, like, Moses, you got to stop this guy. Like, these guys are prophesying. Tell them to quit. Now, and look at what Moses says to Joshua in response. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 29, Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets. 
and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Why? Because Moses knew like that would be a better covenant. That would be a better way if, if the spirit would just fill all the people. And so it's interesting when you read the Old Testament after Solomon's temple was destroyed and, and the Israelites were sent, sent back out. The prophets began to speak about God's relationship with his people in a, in a unique way, in a, in a fundamentally different way. They started talking about something that was coming. I'll give you a couple snapshots of this. One is in Ezekiel 36, verse 26. God says, I will give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. In in Jeremiah 31, God said, this is the covenant that I'll make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws in their minds, and I'll write it on their hearts, and I'll be their God, and they will be my people. So here's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes to take up residence. This is the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of anyone who puts their faith in Jesus. All of a sudden, your heart begins to change. He takes that old stony, rebellious heart. He gives you a a heart of flesh. He gives you a heart that's pliable. Your attitude, your language even begins to change. Your affections and your appetite begin to shift and to change. All of a sudden, you open the Word of God, and the Word of God becomes alive. It's not some old dusty book off of grandpa's shelf. It's living and it's active and it's breathing and it's speaking into your life. It's amazing how sometimes a person will come to Christ and then they'll begin to make decisions about what they do and don't do and they don't even have a chapter or verse to tell them why. Like they've never even read enough of the Bible to know if they should or shouldn't do it, but all of a sudden their convictions are changing. Why? Because the Holy Spirit. It's working. How many Christians can testify? You know about the indwelling Spirit of God. You've sensed conviction. You've sensed Him rebuking you or reproving you or or drawing you into His Word or sensed His presence as we worship God together this morning. At salvation, the Holy Spirit begins to transform your life. And then, all of a sudden, the fruit of the Spirit in your life begins to grow. You begin to grow in the characteristics of of godliness, love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness, gentleness, kindness, self-control. These attributes of the Holy Spirit begin to be realized in your life. And Jesus indicated that that shift would come after he rose from the dead. In John chapter 7, it's a powerful verse. Jesus stands up, it says in verse 37. On the last great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and in a loud voice, he said, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And then John clarifies in the next verse. He says, By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given since, why? Jesus had not yet been glorified. So he's saying it's coming, 
There's going to be a moment where my spirit is going to indwell within you. And, and when the spirit moves, it's going to be like rivers of living water. It's not God's presence leading you out here like he did in the wilderness. It's God's presence leading you in here. He's, he's going to flow out of you like rivers of living water. And then John, who, by the way, was Jesus' best friend, says that didn't happen yet. As he's writing, like, that didn't happen yet. And the reason it didn't happen is because Jesus hasn't been glorified yet. And then on the night that Jesus was arrested, on the night of his crucifixion, he's gathered around the table with John and all of his other disciples. And he says to them in John 14, he says, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. Who's that? He said, it's the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. It's like... Who is the spirit of truth? We know him. How do we know him? He lives with us. Look at the next verse. Verse 18, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In other words, Jesus is saying, it's my spirit. He lives with you. For three and a half years, he's lived with you. And so when he comes to be in you, you're going to recognize him. You're going to know the spirit because the spirit of God is the spirit of Christ Jesus. And then three days later, he was arrested. He was crucified. He did die. Now it's Easter Sunday. And some have seen the empty tomb. Others have heard rumors. Some say they even saw Jesus. And the Bible says that Sunday night, three days after Jesus made that promise, all the disciples are in a room with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. And they're all discussing what has happened, what they think might have happened, what they heard could have happened. And the Bible says Jesus appears in the room. This is a glorified body. Like the doors were locked. He just showed up in the room. He just manifested. And yet it was a physical body. He said, here, touch the place where they drove the nails through my hands. Put your hand in my side where they drove the spear through and feel it. He ate fish with them. So this was a physical, resurrected, alive body, but it was a glorified body. And in that moment, in that conversation, Jesus says to them in John chapter 20, Again, it says, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And this is such an important verse. John 20, 22 says, and with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, can I tell you, this moment right here is not the same moment that we often talk about when we're talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The baptism in the Holy Spirit happened on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. It's 50 days after this moment when the Holy Spirit was poured upon them. But there's two different works of the Holy Spirit. He comes upon us, but first he comes within us. And this is an indwelling moment where Jesus says, because I've now been glorified, I said rivers of living water would come out from your inmost being. But John said it won't happen until I'm glorified. Here I am, guys. Receive. And he breathed on them, and Moses' prayer was answered. All the people now have the Spirit of God. So much easier to build the kingdom when everybody can hear from God and not just wait for one guy to go behind the tent flaps and get the message. This moment 
is the Spirit coming to dwell within us. It's why Jesus had told them before his arrest in John 16, verse 7, he said, very truly, I tell you, it's good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In other words, church, we have an advantage that the Old Testament saints didn't have. Because Jesus died and rose again and he was glorified, the indwelling spirit lives within every Christian. The indwelling spirit is the quiet work of the Holy Spirit. That's, it's, the, it's the work that maybe no, nobody really knows how that work's going, but it's, it's going. In every one of our lives, the Holy Spirit is, is teaching us to obey God's word. He's, he's convicting us to repent of sin. He's helping us to grow in maturity as believers. We are shaped and sanctified into the image of Jesus because of the work of the Holy Spirit inside you and I. If none of those things are happening, maybe you need to reconsider your relationship with Jesus because if His Spirit is on the inside of you, not that we get it right all the time, but the Holy Spirit is continually drawing us towards Christ. That's His role. He's always pulling us back towards Christ. And and if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. But here's, here's... Here's my conviction today that when that man looked up at Peter and John on the road and they said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you, I don't believe they were referring to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I don't believe they were saying, you know what I have? I have a love for the Bible. I give you that. You know what I have? I have the fruit of the Spirit. I give you that. Uh, I, I, love, I love worship. I, don't, I didn't even used to like music. I'm a fisherman, but I love worship now. I give you that. no. They weren't giving him all of the internal works of the Spirit. There was an empowering of the Holy Spirit that had come upon them, that had given them the ability to do great exploits. Hear this, church. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is his work within us. The empowering of the Holy Spirit is his work through us. Let me talk about the empowering of the Holy Spirit for a minute. This is is what Moses wanted all the people to have. But only a select few got it. But God did promise. He said, the day's coming. I will do that. And through the prophet Joel, in Joel 2 and 28, God said, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Remember, the indwelling work is an inward work. The empowering work is an upon work. And that's the language of the Bible. The spirit came upon them. It fell on them. He says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, God says, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And then Acts chapter 2 comes. God had told the disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. Acts chapter 2, the spirit is poured out. Acts chapter 2 verse 4, they all began to speak with new tongues as the spirit enabled them. And then in all of their enthusiasm, they pour out into the streets and and, and Peter begins to preach. And what do you think his text was? He goes right to Joel chapter 2 and he says, this that you're seeing and hearing is that which Joel promised. That God said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. He was declaring in that message in Acts chapter 2, Moses' prayer has been answered. And the New Testament church, they relied on the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. And and, and 
I think we've forgotten that, to be honest with you, church. I think in our day of intellectualism, uh, we've forgotten how intrinsically connected the power of God is to the power of the gospel. But when you just read it, if, if you assume nothing and just read what those who took the gospel to the known world in the first 60 years when you read what they said about the gospel, you cannot miss the reality that the, the power of the gospel is tethered to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And that the gospel message is accompanied by miracles, signs, and wonders. Paul the Apostle, greatest missionary to ever live, said this about his preaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 4 and 5, he said, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Like he wanted to make sure that he didn't leave town with people just saying, man, that guy's really smart. Boy, that was clever. No. He said, my message came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. When he wrote to uh, the Roman Christians, who he had never met, by the way, but the book of Romans is like the, the greatest explanation of the need for salvation and the gift of salvation and what it looks like in the life of a person that's been saved. And, and right at the pinnacle of it, Romans chapter 8, he, he describes what salvation looks like. And then you get to Romans 15, and he says, here's, here's how I saw so many men and so many women put their faith in Jesus. He said, in Romans 15, 19, he said, it was by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. And when I read that statement, fully proclaimed, I couldn't help but wonder, how many times have we not actually fully proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because our proclamation had no expectation, no, no, uh, no demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. And then I think about Jesus, and, and even when he was announcing his own ministry, at his first sermon, the Bible says he opened the scroll of Isaiah. He sat down to teach the people, and here's what he said. In Luke 4, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So many of us, we do that well, but that's not all he said. He went on to say, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. In other words, the, the spirit of the Lord is on me to preach the good news, but to also be able to, to reach down and pick up the person whose life is broken, the person who needs a miracle, the person who needs a healing. The Spirit of the Lord is on me to, to give recovery of sight to the blind. That's not a metaphor. That means I'm going to have the power to open blind eyes. Because that's what the Spirit of the Lord has put upon me. And when Jesus commissioned the disciples, Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then he says right after that in verse 17, And these signs will follow them that believe. In my name they'll drive out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and the sick will get well. The expectation 
was that those who preach would do so by the power of the Holy Spirit and it would be manifested and accompanied by miracles, signs, and wonders. It's no wonder that when Jesus was ready to ascend back into heaven, he said to his disciples, who by the way, he had already breathed on and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So they're, they're, they're new covenant Christians. They have the Holy Spirit on the inside of them. And yet Jesus said to them there in Acts chapter one, wait, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. He said in verse eight, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when the Holy Spirit that already lives inside of you comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. As the worship team comes back, I, I want to make a reference to something I read in, in that book, Experiencing the Spirit by Robert Heidler. He talks about how the indwelling and the empowering ministries of the Holy Spirit have entirely different purposes, and they operate in different ways. And yet it is God's will that the Spirit perform both of these in your life. So, so I, I want to give you a couple ways from his book to help you to differentiate the, the work of the Spirit. The first one, I'll put it on the screen. The Spirit's indwelling is designed to mature us, causing us to grow in the Lord. The Spirit's empowering is designed to equip us, enabling us to serve the Lord. You see the difference? Let me show you another one. The Spirit indwells us to give us victory over sin, making us holy. The Spirit empowers us to give us tools for ministry, making us effective. One more. The Spirit lives within you to give you the character of Christ. The Spirit comes upon you in power to give you the ministry of Christ. Here's why that's worth a Sunday morning sermon to me. Because a lot of evangelical Christians today are only interested in the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. They don't deny the Holy Spirit, but a lot of evangelical Christians only want the, the Holy Spirit to mature me, the Holy Spirit to develop my character, the Holy Spirit to illuminate the text of God's Word. And at the same time, there's a lot of Pentecostals that only want to focus on the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Like we're only interested in, in the operation of the gifts of the Spirit, of experiencing the supernatural and evangelizing the world. Paul wrote to two different churches, each of which only made room for one expression of the Holy Spirit. The first church was the church of Corinth. Now, if, if you're familiar with the, the letter 1 Corinthians, you know from chapter 12 to chapter 14, it's all about the, the gifts of the Spirit in operation because this was a church that received the empowering of the Holy Spirit. They were all about using the gifts, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, miracles, all of that. They were for it. But when you read the first several chapters, what you discover is, man, these were not mature Christians. Like, they lacked maturity in Christ. I'll be honest with you, I've known a lot of Pentecostals just like that. Like, man, they can speak in tongues, but watch out what they say on Monday. 
Like, all about the gifts of the Spirit, the expressions and the, the outward manifestations of what the Spirit could do. But man, you get on their bad side, it's not the fruit of the Spirit that's going to come out when life squeeze them. Something altogether different. There was another church Paul wrote to in Thessalonica. In the Thessalonian church, in the first chapter, he commends them for their maturity. He commends them for their faithfulness to the word. In fact, in their godly character, he even says this. He says, you have become a model to all the believers. So they understood the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They were mature believers, and they set a great example. And everybody looked at them Thessalonians and said, man, those people, they've got it together. But in the same letter, Paul warned them. In chapter 5, verse 19, he said, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all and hold on to what is good. So what was happening in this church? They were all about the Holy Spirit and dwelling within them and, and Christian maturity and faithfulness, and they were great citizens, and they were a model for everybody, but they didn't want the gifts of the Spirit in operation. Because, come on, that's a little messy sometimes. You know, when everybody starts operating in gifts, they wanted the church to be safe and predictable. And i got to be honest, there's a lot of evangelical churches that are just like that. And they've denied the Holy Spirit the opportunity to flow through His people because it doesn't feel orderly or predictable. i got to be honest, there's a lot of Pentecostal churches. I'm going to use some air quotes because they're Pentecostal in name, but they wouldn't give two seconds of room for the Holy Spirit to operate in and through their life. It's, it's not more than a, than a theological statement. My point is this, church, we need both. Come on, we need both. The, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ lives on the inside of you and Jesus promised he would empower you to be an effective witness to do his work to build his church so today as we kind of land the plane here I want to give us an opportunity to respond in prayer to those two things and the first piece being the indwelling of the Holy Spirit we're going to respond by receiving communion together and so I want to invite you, there's a communion cup in the cup holder in front of you. You can stay seated, but go ahead and grab that. And uh, as we get ready to receive communion today, maybe you're thinking like, well, what does is, what is receiving communion have to do with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? I want to remind us, church, that that's not possible without the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ like we have something that the Old Testament saints of God didn't have we have what Moses only wished they could have because Jesus was glorified he breathed on his church and every Christian today has the spirit of the most high God living on the inside of them and I'm going to give you a verse to just wrap your faith around out of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, through Christ, the amen is spoken by us 
to the glory of God. Think about that. Every, every promise that God has given us, it's yes in Jesus. Until Jesus, it was just a promise. But now it's a yes. And because Jesus is saying yes to the promise, the same spirit that lives in us, something rises up on the inside of us and we say amen. We say amen by the same spirit for the glory of God. And then he goes on in the next verse to say, here's what God does. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. This is where we take our stance. We stand firm in Christ. He anoints us. He sets his seal of ownership on us. And he puts his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. Guaranteeing what is to come. Think about this. He says, God God puts his Holy Spirit inside of you as as a deposit. It's like a down payment. Like some of you, you've already, start, you've already started Christmas shopping. You couldn't afford it, but you got it on layaway. So you put a deposit down. And that deposit says you're going to get it. It's going to be your, come December 25th, it's going to be under the tree. There's a deposit that says, hold that for me. And, and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you is a deposit that says there's more to come. And so for every promise, whether it's been actualized in your life or you're just clinging to it by faith, every promise, Jesus by the Spirit says yes to that promise. And because His Spirit lives in you, you can say amen. Amen to that promise. So I I feel like a sinner, but the Bible says He's robed me with righteousness and I'm a joint heir with Jesus. Jesus says, yes, you're forgiven. I say amen. I might feel sick in my body, but the Bible says in Isaiah, by his stripes, his stripes, the yes is in Jesus, I'm healed. So I say by the same spirit, amen to my healing today. He can restore, he can redeem. And I can say amen, not because, not because I've seen it happen yet, but because the spirit of Christ lives in me. The deposit is there to say there's more to come. So Father, we thank you for what this bread and what this cup represents. As we receive the bread and the juice today, recognizing your body and your blood that was sacrificed for us at Calvary. God, today we we not only receive these emblems and these elements, but God, we receive every promise that you have made possible through the finished work of redemption. And we thank you, Lord God, that in our spirit right now, there is a new confidence. There is a new faith. There is a new hope. There is an amen that is rising up on the inside of us because your spirit has been deposited inside of us as a guarantee for what is to come. In Jesus' name, let's receive the bread and the juice together. Peter and John stood before that crippled man, it wasn't their spiritual maturity that they offered him. It wasn't their love for God's word. 
that they offered to him that allowed him to stand up. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that rested upon them. And I said this earlier, I said the indwelling spirit is the quiet work of the Holy Spirit. Because here's the thing, the Holy Spirit can be working in your life and nobody knows it. You know, oftentimes we we try to assume, you know, we try to read one another, but I don't know what the Spirit of God's doing in your life. Dealing with you about decisions and priorities and worship. The Holy Spirit's doing a quiet work inside of you. But the empowering of the Holy Spirit, that's not the quiet work. The pattern in Scripture is whenever the Holy Spirit was poured out on God's people, it was always accompanied with some outward reaction, some outward response. So usually, well, definitely, the person that receives the outpouring knows it. Usually, the people around them know it because there's some outward response. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit happens automatically. If you surrender your life to Jesus, His Spirit comes to live in you. You might not get up feeling different immediately. You might not sense any kind of change, but it's automatic. It happens. The empowering of the Holy Spirit is usually not automatic. It requires you go after it. There was one situation in Acts chapter 10 where it was automatic. And sometimes it happens this way. Peter was preaching in the home of Cornelius. And while he's preaching, apparently faith just started to rise up on the inside of the people because all of a sudden, not only did they receive the message and get saved, the Bible says all of a sudden they just began to speak with new tongues. So apparently, while he's preaching, they got saved and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they recognized what it was because they said, this is exactly what happened to us on the day of Pentecost. These guys just received the Holy Ghost. But usually, it's a subsequent work. That's what it was for the disciples. Jesus breathed on them, and they had the Holy Spirit dwell within them. And then he said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. And so 50 days after the Holy Spirit lived in them, they were gathered in a 10-day prayer meeting, seeking the Holy Spirit to come upon them. It happened later. In Acts chapter 8, the Samaritan community got saved because Philip preached the gospel. They received the message of salvation. The Holy Spirit lived on the inside of them. But it was three more days before Peter and John got there, laid hands on them and said, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Even for Paul the Apostle. In Acts chapter 9, he's on the Damascus road. He meets Jesus. His life is changed. He gets up off the ground a believer with the Holy Spirit living inside of him. But it's three more days till a man named Ananias comes and lays hands on him and prays for him. And Paul receives the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Not only does the empowerment of the Holy Spirit come later, but... It comes continually. Jesus said to his disciples and to us, he said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So Jesus lives on the inside of every Christian and he will never leave, but we leak power. And so whenever the Bible talks about the spirit coming upon, it's a continual work. It's not a once and done. Like I remember the date, the time and the place I got saved. The same disciples that got filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 got it again in Acts chapter 4. The Holy Spirit empowerment is a continual work because we need to continue to seek God for more. Here's my question. Church, if, if you're crossing paths, 
with someone that's calling out to you for help. What do you have? What do we have to offer? Not just at a a pop-up church, but in your workplace, on the sideline with your team, at the grocery store. What do we have to offer? Because the Holy Spirit has everything we need. And so we're gonna close this service. I'm gonna invite you to stand with me. We're gonna pray. I've asked the worship team to come back here to just facilitate a, a, a closing moment of, of consecration to the Lord. I'm praying, church, that the Holy Spirit would come upon us in power. That the gifts of the Holy Spirit would be in operation in your life. In our 830 service, we had a young man come to the altar here and just begin to seek the Lord. And he said, I was taught the opposite of this. I grew up in a church. I was taught the opposite of this. But for a long time, I've just been sensing that there's more. And I tell you, that's a good theology. There's always more. There's always more. You have not, nor have I, experienced the height, the depth, and the breadth of God's love for you and what he wants to do in and through your life. So any theology that says God can't do that is bad theology. We prayed with that young man and the Holy Spirit filled him. Some of you need that. You're like, I need God's power in my life. Thank God for the indwelling spirit, but I need him to pour out in my life. So we're gonna close this service in prayer. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hold you any longer. Because I know not, not everybody is, is hungry for this. And you have to seek this. You have to want this. But if you're saying, man, I want the Holy Spirit to just be poured out on my life. You can make an altar right there where you're standing. But I'm going to ask some of our prayer team to just come down to the front here. And if you say, man, that's me. I just want the Holy Spirit to move in my life. I want to invite you to just step out from where you are. Let's take a few moments here at the end of this service. We got time. We got an extra hour today. Take a few moments to say, God, I want more of what you want for me. The spirit that lives inside of me is, is drawing me, is calling out to me to pursue for more. So right now, Lord, I just, I just come before you again in prayer for all your people. God, that we would be a church that experiences the maturing, sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our life that we would cultivate the fruit of the Spirit, but that we would also be a church that walks in the power of the Spirit, that we would experience the gifts of the Spirit in operation, that the message of our gospel would be accompanied by the power of the Spirit with miracles, signs, and wonders following them that believe. God, forgive us if we've ever thought that we, that we know enough or we could say enough or we could program enough to pick a person up off of their place of despair. Lord, we need the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to speak through us. We need the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us into opportunities, to divine appointments, to to strategic intersections where, where hopelessness in other people 
can come into contact with the the yes that is in Christ Jesus, that we can just respond in our spirit with a resounding amen. Yes, God, I sense what you're doing. I hear what God is doing. Amen, Lord, use me in this moment. Father, fill your church with your Holy Spirit. Begin to manifest your presence in our lives in fresh and in powerful ways. God, for those that have, have, have desired the gifts of the Spirit, but maybe they've just stopped short, God, give them a tenacity this morning to just press in, to say, God, I, I want more. I want what you have for me. If it's, if it's praying for 10 days or, or a month or, or a month and a half as the disciples did, 50 days later, God, whatever it takes, I'm not going to move forward until you give me what you promised. God, I need more of your spirit in my life. Lord, would you fill your church? Would you use us so that as we go, we go with the power of the spirit living in us and moving through us? In Jesus' name, in all God's people, said amen. Amen. Come on, let's bless the Lord today. Amen.